Welcome to the See Me Now Special Edition podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, here with my co-host, Caitlin Birdsall. And we are joined today by Dr. Michael Reeder. He is the director of the Mumford Family Human Performance Lab and the director of the Physician Assistant Program here at Colorado Mesa University. Thanks for coming today. Oh, you bet. Thanks for having me. Let's start with your background, because I think you've had decades worth of experience, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I, I'm a physician. I initially did an emergency medicine residency, but I followed that with a sports medicine fellowship. So we, um, our family, we moved here in the uh, mid-90s, uh, and I was a team physician here for a number of years, over a decade at, here at, uh, at CMU, as Mesa State College at that point. Uh, and over the years, I've been uh, lucky enough to be a t- team physician for a number of years. I've taught classes. And then after about 25 years of practice, I um, started running the, or directing the uh, Montford Family Human Performance Lab uh, here on uh, campus. So um, kind of a different path than, than I may have expected, but um, been you know, around uh, the, the college for a long time. So what made you decide to leave, well, not technically leave the medical field, but kind of go off into <laughs> teaching and being the director of the Mumford Family Human Performance Lab? Because that's, you know, quite a bit of a, I would say, a change in probably your daily routine and what you're doing. So what, what made you decide to make that change? Well, we, I practiced for 25 years, uh, both Ohio and here, and, and uh, our four kids were kind of gone, you know, moved on and uh, they're all still around. But um, so my wife and I were looking at different things and I was thinking about going to teach somewhere else, uh, considering perhaps going to teach at a medical school and uh, talked to President Foster one day and started talking about some options. And, and, you know, five years later, here I am. I like that. The rest is history. And what about sports medicine that, that really interested you? Well, I've always been interested in that. That was... Um, I was drawn to that really even in uh, medical school. Uh, and I always liked the sports science part of it. So even in practice, I was I was kind of drawn or very interested in that. So it was a pretty uh, easy or interesting transition for me to come to the sports performance lab because it really fit a lot of what I did in practice. Um, so it wasn't that big of a transition. It was, uh, you know, as far as my interest so we've mentioned the Montfort Family Human Performance Lab a couple different times, and I know we're all very familiar with the lab and all of its capabilities and what you and the students and other faculty members are doing over there. But for our listeners, can you maybe get into a little bit more of the details of what exactly is at the lab? What do you do there? What kind of experiences do our students have? Yeah, the Montfort Family uh, Human Performance Lab was started about 10 years ago. Uh, really a great vision of uh, President Foster and a number of community members that got together and said they really wanted to build something that you know, our students could use. And it's really still state-of-the-art. And I think the difference is a lot of the same equipment is that maybe at a bigger university, but our undergrads really get to be hands-on and they get to have opportunities, which they can then translate into going into you know, medical school, PA school, PT school, graduate school, uh, things that you just don't generally get at an undergraduate um, education. And, and I'm totally biased, but we, we, we think it's a, just a great opportunity for, for undergrads and different than most places. And it's not just exercise science students, right, who get to be involved in all this research. 
it's a it's a wide variety of of students in different backgrounds, different fields of study. Yes, we're in kinesiology, so most of them are exercise science. However, uh, what we really like is is the interdisciplinary uh, aspect. We have had engineering interns. Uh, be part of our projects, uh, math students sometimes would do the statistics and, and join in. We've had dance students, uh, even had um, um, English majors in there once uh, talking about it and, 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 and writing about it. So we really try to be part of the whole campus. Yeah, I, I, it's something, it's one of our goals. And, and, uh, and now with some of the graduate programs, they're going to come on board, there will be even more kind of uh, interaction with different groups. And so when we talk about student research at the lab, and you're saying they get to have this experience at the undergraduate level, what is the type of research that goes on there? You know, what is what are the different facilities? What are the different um, parts and components of the lab that students can use in their research? And maybe if you could give a couple examples of past research. Yeah, so the, the uh, for, it's a it's it's introduction to research really, but it's it's at a higher level I think than most undergraduates get, and we have several different areas. One it would be more exercise kind of classic exercise physiology, and that's where you see somebody running with a tube in their mouth and they're looking at their uh, how much oxygen they can use and how fit they are and what what zone they could be in to exercise. And we do that with well, our cycling team has been national champion, so we. We get really high-end um, athletes, and can, there's a lot of community members that are uh, really high-level runners and cyclists that, that come in, and we get people from all over. On the other end of the lab is more are the cameras. We, they're called Vicon cameras, which is the motion capture cameras that they use to film movies like Avatar and things like that. But basically, it makes that 3D object you see, and we look at angles and forces, and that's the biomechanics. Uh, mechanics of the lab and we have a biomechanist and there's different ways we've looked at pitchers and golfers and uh, runners uh, that, that do that. And probably the third thing that's just been added is the environmental chamber of this last year. Uh, and it's a basically a chamber big enough you can have two people running in it or four bicycles and we can simulate uh, sea level to 14,000 feet um, by changing the oxygen, and then we can change the temperature from 10 degrees Fahrenheit to 140 degrees Fahrenheit and the humidity. So we can make it really miserable uh, <laughs> for people to exercise. And uh, it's fascinating. We can do it from an environmental standpoint, what kind of clothes and uniforms could people wear to what's the best uh, altitude uh, for exercise. Uh, we've because of COVID, that's just kind of starting to kick into gear. We haven't been able to use it as much as possible, but uh, really an interesting uh, thing. And I think because of where we live, um, our elevation, our temperature, those are the kind of studies and, and research and things that we'll look at uh, that'll be related to to that. Nice. And it in the sports field, I mean, why is this research necessary? Why is it important? Why? How does it help? What does it do outside of just, you know, being great for students and that learning capability there? There's a lot of different things you can look at or, that are interesting. Um, one is elevation. Uh, there's been all kinds of studies that looked at what's the right elevation to train at, what's the right elevation to sleep at. So there's a real performance uh, standard there. And also looking at... Um, uh, people with chronic diseases, there are some studies now looking at the use of sauna and people with 
uh, cardiovascular disease because they have a hard time exercising and actually using heat uh, in lieu of exercise has been shown to be uh, helpful. So there's some interest um, in those kind of things. Um, they have done some, we have done a couple studies before I got here, but they've looked at uniforms, like what kind of shirt you use that, that basically you don't, you know, keep in as much heat, types of shoe wear, uh, and then the forces that they transmit. So there's a lot of different things that are, are, are possible really with what we have. And I, I'm thinking, you know, because it's, you know, that time of year where the Olympics are here, everybody's kind of talking <laughs> about that. And so research, I mean, and, and not to say specifically that this is coming out of, you know, your lab, but the research that students are doing could potentially be helping these top, top athletes with, you know, f- with these big questions of what kind of material to wear, where to train, that sort of thing. Yeah, so that's a great question. And, and and you had alluded to for what are some examples. And uh, one of our students uh, from several years ago is doing his PhD at the University of New Mexico. And one of the things he did here was looked at the difference in work if you're sitting on your bike or standing on your bike. So we have that big treadmill in there where you can ride a, a mountain bike. So basically we had him hooked up and looked at all different measurements. And we were looking to see the work, the effort when you were sitting on your bike versus uh, standing, you know, people stand up and when you watch a cyclist climb a hill. So we had that thing cranked up to like 30 degrees and really fast. And we were looking at different um, efforts that he was, that, and actually others. And so he basically started that study here. He's, a, he's done it at University of Mexico and published several papers related to that study. Uh, so those are the kind of things, again, that's what they're looking at for like Olympic cyclists. And other things we do would be more look at the physiology. So when we when we have the when the cyclists come in to train, they want to know a couple of things. They want to know where their threshold is. And I can get pretty boring here for a minute, but <laughs> basically that's that's when you uh, you're unable to get rid of the waste products from exercise. There's a there's kind of a transition zone that people get, and cyclists and runners can know really what heart rate that they're at, or or the elevation that, or I'm sorry, the, the heart rate or the uh, power, because they all have power meters in their, in their bike. So they might know that if I go 175, I can go 175 beats per minute for, you know, a half hour. But if I go 180, I, I can't do that. So, so those are kind of tools that guarantee that the, the endurance athletes in the Olympics and the cyclists, and those are all tools our students are able to learn how to do and interpret and and use in, in training. I want to go back real quick because I know, you know, we live in Western Colorado. It's a huge bike community. So I'm sure there's a couple of listeners who are wanting to know the outcome of that study. How do you get up a hill? It actually, it, it makes sense if you think about it, but it, it takes more work to stand up because then you're using other muscles because you're holding onto the handlebars and the amount of oxygen you use is related somewhat to the amount of muscles that you use. So the athletes that, because we have the big treadmill that you can skate on, you can uh, skate ski. So the athletes that actually have used the most oxygen while exercising are cross-country skiers because they're using their upper body. So when you stand up on your bike to, to, um, to, to climb, you're probably using a little bit more oxygen. Now, 
for most people, it probably doesn't matter that much. Like for me, it doesn't matter that much. <laughs> and I can say I cross-country skied for the first time two winters ago, and yeah, it definitely took all my muscles oh, and yeah. all my strength, <laughs> yeah. but it was a lot more challenging than I thought it would be. So I know you were saying that a lot of um, our students that are using the lab for research go on to potentially be in PA schools, go to graduate schools. They can do a lot of different things. And not only are you the director of the Montfort Family Human Performance Lab, but you're also the medical director for our physician assistant program. And we were chatting previously kind of about how that research and how you're structuring that research blends into the PA program and that critical thinking and using what we're learning in research to make decisions as a physician assistant. And I'd like to explore that just a little bit more. So if you could talk more about your role as the director of the PA program. So as, at the undergraduate level, um, we have a class called Structured Research here that Brent Allenbaugh and I uh, teach. And, and basically that's really getting un, undergraduates to look at how do you look at the literature and how do you how do you design a study and, and some more kind of basic things. And those go on oftentimes to be some of the projects that I was talking about, like the cycling one. That started in our structured research environment. So with the, the physician assistants, it's, they, they don't really have the time. They're, they're doing so much stuff that, that to develop uh, projects. They, they have more quality assurance projects, not really in the lab projects. But, but in that, we do review again. And some of them have some experience with research. But, but how research done and, and how it can be affected and how, how biases come in because as a, as a clinician, you, it, when you're reading all the literature, is trying to sort through what's, what's kind of real and what's not is, is challenging, as even we, I think we see even more now. But um, how, do, how do you look at that? How do you look at a study and have some idea of how it was done and what might have biased it and what are some of the kind of the classic biases? And then in that particular uh, discipline, we really work, look at evidence-based medicine and how do you apply that? So if you have a certain, you know, you have back pain, how do I look at back pain when I look at studies and how do I apply that, um, that evidence to that, that particular patient? So we, we spend a lot of time with, with that application. Yeah, because I was going to say, you know, it was just a non-clinician, I'll say non-doctor. <laughs> um, you know, you go to your doctor and you have different ailments and, you know, you just assume they're a doctor. They're going to know. But, you know, it's interesting to talk about in here. I mean, they're constantly reviewing and reading all the newest research. And I mean, there's so much I'm sure that can go on in your body. And so having to stay up to date on all of that research and, you know, what's the latest and most, you know, outstanding medical news and being able to use that to help your patients is, I think, probably a really important piece. And it's kind of cool to see that tie of the research that students are working on, the PA program, and how it's all interconnected. It's a challenge. The, I've seen different, you know, uh, statistics, but the number of articles that have come out, like now compared to like 50 years ago, is it's exponential. So it's impossible for people really to to be able to keep up with every article that comes out in their discipline, they need to be able to sort through that. And, and there's an art and a science to it, I guess. But It's probably worth mentioning that, you know, with the PA program, we're getting a new building out here right now. They're literally hammering, you know, walls together. Can you mention, you know, what is it, what's the benefit of getting a new, a new facility and why it's happening and how it's going to benefit our students? That, that program, uh, you know, I th there were several people in the community, uh, President Foster, uh, uh, Dr. Bechtel, some of the other physicians that, that 
you know, said, hey, there's, we probably have needs in, in medicine. And they talked to Dr., uh, President Foster about that. And that's what started some of the, the graduate programs. What needs can we fill? We don't have enough providers in Western Colorado, especially as we get more rural, um, smaller towns are struggling. And that's really what started the, the PA program and the PT program and OT program and, and all of which are going to go in that new building. And, and just to pause you, because some people might not know what PT and OT, oh, what sorry. those stand for. Yeah, so, um, so physical therapy and occupational therapy um, disciplines will start here within the next one to two years. They both have been within uh, in the accreditation. It's, it's quite a process to get accredited. You can't just throw out your shingle and say, we're, we're doing it. You have to go before all the boards and have people on campus for a significant amount of time. And the physician assistant program did that already. So those three disciplines will be in that building together. So what I think is very interesting is they, the interdisciplinary way that they've always gone about that. And there will be some sharing of those that facility. It wasn't like they built three different areas. Uh, it's going to be something that everyone can use and, and benefit from. There will be some interdisciplinary disciplinary education, which we already have. We, with the physician assistant program, we do things with nursing and the athletic training program, um, which, you know, you, they learn how to collaborate, uh, but it's also a neat educational um, uh, situation. So we've kind of covered a lot today, and, you know, I'm always impressed when I hear all of the work that you're doing on campus. So, you know, you're the director of our Montfort Family Human Performance Lab. You're the medical director for the physician assistant program. You're teaching and in the classroom with our students. And then not only that, you also helped lead a lot of our COVID, I would say, response to the pandemic over the last year. And we're heavily involved with um, helping our campus community be here and be in person for learning and living. So can you talk to us about, one, how do you have the time to do all of that? And two, maybe just what does that kind of intersection look like between all of those duties and responsibilities? Well, one of the things that's really, uh, I think, and this, I think, comes from the top down is there's a lot of collaboration and people working together. Um, I, I can tell you the physician assistant program that, that uh, Dr. Bronson, who you guys have interviewed and, and spoken with before, has done a remarkable amount of work. And Dan Millward has come alongside as a associate director and uh, really have a exceptional uh, uh, team that has done that. I, I oversee curriculum and, and maybe some bigger ideas uh, there. And I get to teach in it, which is fun for me. But those, those, that, that team really drives a lot of that. And, and the COVID response here, I mean, I, I, I think it's really been remarkable, the amount of people that you know, transitioned to a different job and, and made this thing happen. And for us to be on campus, um, w one of the things I was kind of doing was kind of keeping track of what other people were doing, you know, to make sure we were doing the best practices. And we, we were, you know, out in front of most people. And, and uh, part of that was just the whole nature and the, the, uh, the way that uh, people work together on, on campus and, Again, That's pretty amazing, right? I mean, we're we're here in Western Colorado, you know, it, we're a medium-sized school, but yet, like you said, we were we were leading that charge. And I know sometimes when you talk about COVID, people's eyes can gloss over now. <laughs> but I think that's really worth saying over and over again that 
the people here on this campus are just phenomenal and really leaders in, in something that no one saw coming. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, people that were running the testing site were, you know, from the foundation office, yet they were running this, you know, state-of-the-art testing center here. Uh, that was really, written about in the New York Times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so those are the kind of things I think are just really, I think it was fun and the connections with, you know, um, Harvard and all the other things that happened with that. So, again, I give kudos to um, uh, John Marshall and, and Dr. Bronson, especially for leading that, that team because they really, they kept that. And there was a lot of people that helped out. So um, I, I don't want to start naming them because <laughs> there, there was a, a lot of people. But one of the things that I, I did was I was able to kind of sit back and try to, you know, maybe in testing, what would be our best practice as a school? You know, how do we, well, not so much the nuts and bolts, but what's the, you know, the, the best test? And then and transition a little bit to vaccines. Um, just try to be a resource for people because there was a lot of a lot of questions related to that. Well, let's let's sit on that for a minute because you know we're a right to choose campus, so we give you know our students, faculty, and staff all the information that we have, answer questions, and then you know encourage them to get the vaccine. But I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there, so maybe can you name off a few? Um, uh, clear some things up if if that's out there. Yeah, this has been a fascinating area. Um, I, I well, I think I and we'd mentioned I'd mentioned this before. I, I really understand the hesitancy. You know, this is something obviously everybody's gone through. Uh, it's been very impactful in many people's lives. Uh, a lot of misinformation and 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 difficult to understand information. It came very fast. So I, I totally uh, get that, I, and I think I'd mentioned personally. I I spent a lot of time reading about it, and and you know learning that mRNA va- vir- vaccines, the platform that they use, has, was developed over a decade ago. Uh, the the adenovirus type vaccine, they've been working on that for two decades. So the the actual vehicle is very similar to what they've been using. And they've actually already tested on coronaviruses, just not this particular one. So I felt a lot more comfortable when I saw those um, those kind of results and listened to the people that were uh, doing that. And personally, I, I really had no objection to getting the vaccine after after doing that. But again, I, I get it. it it's um, um, it's it's anxiety provoking. Um, I like what our our direction. You know, again, as you said, we're 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 free to choose, um, but I, I think we, you know, I think the evidence is there that we recommend it to everybody that can get it, unless they have a reason not to. And going back to the the PA program really quick, uh, I think it's important to note that these brilliant minds that are coming out of your program are going out into Western Colorado, into doctor's offices, into hospitals, you know, really making a difference here on the Western Slope. Um, can you can you mention maybe that clinical practice and, and how our partners are really helping the community by letting them in there and getting that training that they need? That's a great point. One of the things that I uh, was having been here for a long time, I was really appreciated the response of the medical community to the PA program. 
They clearly were very interested. All the hospitals were, the administration from the hospitals, and that's been, that's been awesome. And we've had a really good response to having places for our students to go and work clinically. And we need to continue to, work, to develop that, and that's really, really important. And, and I appreciate it. I've had, I took students for, well, 25 years, so it, it, it takes some effort, but it's giving back to the next, that next generation. Somebody helped me, I helped the next person, et cetera. So uh, we're always looking for preceptors. And, and, and one of the things I had mentioned before is, and not just Grand Junction, we have students from, in Colorado really, from Craig to Lake City to Durango, uh, really spread out front range. Uh, but we're, we're mainly concentrated in, in Western Colorado. That, that's really our, our goal. So before we let you go today, I have one other question for you. So you are a pr- practicing physician for 25 years. I know you've taught here at CMU for n- quite a few years, and then you've been the director of our Montfort Family Human Performance Lab for the last five years. So what's next? What, <laughs> what, do, you, what do you think is coming up next for you personally? Uh, Dr. Hawkins, I don't know sure he's, if he's listening. So. <laughs> um, I'm not, I, I really enjoy uh, teaching uh, in the lab and the PA program. Uh, that's probably my, you know, if I had to pick between administrative stuff and, and teaching, teaching is to me is, is more rewarding. It's probably more my, uh, my thing. Um, I l- I'd like to, COVID stopped some of the momentum of the lab. I want to bring that back and tie in some of those disciplines that we, that we talked about and, um, continue to, to, to build that because it's, it's interesting. I just got an email um, yesterday from a student um, who, exceptional athlete here, uh, did a really neat project. He was a, a biology major, so not an exercise science, but he was interested, developed a, a, something that we've published uh, that was a door for him to get into medical school. So to me, that's, a, you know, that's really fun to see uh, that kind of, you know, he, he was interested and it makes it even more fun to, to work with. So there's some really neat opportunities, I think, that I'd like to try to continue to grow that for our students. I love that. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Dr. Reader. I mean, we covered everything from St. Mary's, SEL Health, Medical Education Center to vaccines, the whole spectrum. So we appreciate it. Oh, you bet. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you. This is the See Me Now Special Edition podcast. You can find us on See Me Now and Spotify.